Welcome to this podcast. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Ken Tang. And recently he, he posted on his YouTube channel a very, very special video. And he showed that he actually made 134,000 US dollars by buying disruptive companies. Right? So I thought his uh, investing style was very, very interesting. And I wanted to invite him to share maybe some like contrarian or mind-blowing uh, ideas that you know, most people don't uh, talk about. And before that, I just want to uh, add disclaimers because, I mean, we are going to talk about companies that he has invested in before. Um, this is not a recommend, recommendation to buy or sell. If you are looking for someone to recommend you to buy or sell, you should approach a professional advisor. All right. So, Ken, how do you feel today? I feel freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> in Singapore, now the whole world as of today, as recording this video, the whole world is in shutdown. Yes. You know, everybody... They are like stuck in the house. Where in Singapore, we are like walking around the <laughs> place, man. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Ken, could you maybe share with the audience like what do you do so that they can kind of like have a background, kind of know about your background and know about your story? I'll quickly introduce myself. Like, uh, I'm retired and I'm currently doing YouTube now. But, um, Actually, I like to introduce myself this way because, I mean, I like to introduce myself this way so I can relate to you guys a lot because uh, I started off like everybody as an employee. I was working for somebody and, you know, you get pissed off there like <laughs> with stupid bosses. Then I became a boss myself and I realized I became a slave to the company. Mm. So working for somebody and working yourself, eh, eh. so we, I went into investment. Mm. Uh, investment kind of like, like, hey, look, I don't need to answer the people. They don't need to answer me. I'm happy both ways. So this is that's why I continue this investment journey. Right. And yeah, now I my last point of the last thing I did was actually did the financial education. You, you know, we were we yeah. know each other from there. Yeah. And now I left that place and doing YouTube now. <laughs> okay, so I mean, can I found your investing journey like really, really extraordinary? Because I mean, obviously, um, when I first met you, we were all talking about you know the need to diversify our portfolio and the need of diversifying it. And you know, over the years, I think we started to uh, kind of like uh, have a change in the way we think about our portfolios. I think the last time we met, we talked about actually you know, the way to uh, really uh, succeed is to kind of be a bit more concentrated. Mm. Uh, maybe do you want to share with uh, audience, like, you know, what was that uh, aha moment that you got, you know, from like uh, being an advocate of uh, diversifying uh, your portfolio to, you know, realizing that, hey, actually, if I really want to do well and I really want to beat the market, I have to buy, uh, you know, lesser companies and I have to be a very, very focused investor. So what was that aha or epiphany moment that you had? Um, maybe I would like to go back to the time when I was teaching. Okay. So when I was teaching, and I think you will get the, the same feeling that I do get, is that uh, when I teach, I have to teach diversification. Because let's like, say, for example, you know, I used to have like thousands of students. So yeah. you know that you have a thousand students, how many of them will actually do the kind of research that we do? Yes. Like spend hours sure. digging, calling, and it, it, it becomes <laughs> a, a obsession, you know. Yes. And out of the thousand probably, I give you 10, at the most 10 will do it. So the, the, the biggest problem is that if they anyhow wet and they do not understand things that happen and you, when you invest in companies, along the way, things will happen. Like yes. now, this, yes. this, kind of, this kind of 
crisis comes and all the phone calls keep calling, hey, what company is this? Uh? They don't even know. So the thing is, we have to teach diversification. And uh, I think Warren Buffett said this is, Warren Buffett said this, um, if you don't really know how to invest, diversification is probably the way you should do it. Because yes. when the whole market goes up, everything goes up, whole market yes. goes down, everything goes down. So you will be safe. At least you will not go broke. There will right. not be a margin call on you. So um, that's probably why I teach diversification because mm. I just know the odds and my students' interest comes first. They, yeah. are, they, are, they are to save, save their money. So their returns will not be awesome. But their returns also will not be better than banks. banks. Yeah, better than banks <laughs> anyway. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, you, you know, say it perfectly. So I just yeah. wanted to let them feel the, the whole most important thing is they feel that they can make money. So mm. after that, they would once they feel it, they know how to naturally progress and take their journey. So that was the most important part. Defending right. their portfolio after that, they will go on, on their own. But having said that, uh, I always say this. I always know that this this thing about Warren Buffett. You know, we 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 study Warren Buffett. Yeah, yes. his four stocks, his insurance, his Coca-Cola, his Wells Fargo. Yeah, yeah. So Charlie Munger had three stocks only. Um, and the reason why I always concentrate on a few stocks, the, the most important reason is that to me it's humanly impossible for me to understand 20 companies. I, no, I agree with you. There's oh my no God, way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's no way I, I can't do that. So if I understand the three companies really well, three or four companies really well. And when things happen like now, we exactly know what to do. We would exactly know. There's no question about it. We will just do it because we know how strong these companies are. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that's why three to four companies for me. Right. So um, let's say, I mean, just being a diverse uh, advocate, right? Um, what if you meet a black swan? I mean, that's always like the most common thing that people will say, right? Like, you know, Ken, what if you are wrong? And I mean, uh, humans, we are all uh, fallible. So, you know, having a portfolio of maybe uh, four companies, for example, what if you are wrong for like one or two companies? Like, you know, how do you uh, think about, you know, this kind of uh, concentration risk? I see. Actually, that's a good question. Um, I always put it this way. Because I am so concentrated mm. in companies where I invest in disruptive and very innovative companies. Yes. So when I get it right, they are going to 10x. Right. So if you are looking at uh, like, Let's say I invest in four companies mm. and two, I don't know, them, this is called the Singaporean way, them sway, the <laughs> two of them fall. Yeah. I had, and my other two companies, 10x, hey, look, I'm still pretty much rich, you know? <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is the way I look at it because I have so thousands of companies to choose. Why I would choose companies that are multi-baggers, 10x, 20x, 100x kind of companies. Yeah. So these are my four. I look for yeah. So basically, my three or four companies would be innovative, disruptive companies, mm -hmm. and I go really strong on them. Right. I think I totally agree with you. In fact, I think some people uh, think that you know by having uh, more companies, you are actually uh, in a less risky position. But sometimes you tend to wonder. For example, in Singapore, we have this very very famous uh, REIT, uh, Real Estate Investment Trust ETF. Mm -hmm. Right, so a lot of people think that you know when I buy a REIT ETF, I'm actually better off, you know, I'm safer because I have more REITs. But the thing is, why do you want to choose? Like, uh, why do you want to dilute your earnings and uh, dilute your performance when you know you know that there's only three or four really good REITs in Singapore? Like, why you want to let the lousy ones drag down your entire portfolio? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I think you know that's like a really good point. So. Coming to the main crux of this podcast, right? So Ken, you made 134,000 US dollars in a disruptive company. And in this company, right, it's very, very sensational. 
um, there were a lot of market noise about this company being the worst investment. I think before it went up, a lot of people say that uh, this company will go bankrupt. Uh, I think there were a lot of uh, haters. I mean, of course, uh, it also has a lot of supporters. So maybe you can share with us like what's the company and how did you filter all the noise? Because I know it's hard to filter um, all the noise through the market when people tell you that, you know, this, like, why do you make such a stupid investment? Now, how do you filter through that noise? And can you walk through us, um, like, what's your thesis on this company back then? And, you know, what gave you that conviction to buy into this company? In fact, you bought quite a bit on this company. 80% of my portfolio <laughs> went in. 80% of your portfolio. I told you. I told yeah. a lot of people close to us. 80%, I don't give a crap ass. Yeah. So what gave you that conviction, right? Okay, so firstly, what's that company? What gave you the conviction to buy this company, even though there were a lot of uh, bad news about this company? Before I talk about this company, I, you can, at any point of time, ask me any questions about this company. If I, if I go too much, mm -hmm. I can answer probably almost every question that you come at me. If I don't know, I'll just say I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, firstly, I'll talk, this company is called Tesla. Yeah. Um, okay, so back in May 2019, it was at $170. So wow. from a high of 360, it fell all the way down to 170. Yeah. It sounds like now, the, it, is, it sounds exactly like today as of making now the economy crisis. Bam, the whole thing came down. Yes. So um, I didn't really have much of a thesis in this company. Mm. Um, you know I, you know me when I was talking in my, in my community last time when I was teaching previously. Yeah. I was actually talking about this company like three years ago before all this thing <laughs> happened. Exactly, yeah. In fact, I was even, before I dared to talk about it, I was actually looking at this when this company IPO, you know, that was back in 2012 or 2013. I was looking at back then. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, then that, that is how long I'm looking at this company already. So it just wasn't the overnight thing that I know this company will succeed. Right. They plunge on the way down. So you <coughs> must understand that it, this kind of conviction, this kind of knowledge doesn't come overnight. It takes mm. time to come in. So mm. I was talking about this company for three years. So... Um, so I spent like hours a week. I'm not joking. I spent hours a week reading up. I watched all of Elon Musk's interview. I'm serious. I watched all his interview. Um, Even the one that he teared and say it was the hardest decision. Exactly. But he had to split his money into three different. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. He split his company because he didn't want. He, for example, uh, for your information, Elon Musk created SpaceX, the first company that can freaking land rockets, and he's a private company. It's not a government yes. company. So right off, I just want to say that don't bet against the guy that land rockets. Okay? <laughs> yeah, he kicked NASA's ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He killed when his uh, idols like Neil Armstrong say that you know that uh, that he is the he's a total fraud. So this over here, heroes, then he killed. Then he continued pushing what he needs to do because he knows what he's doing is right for humanity. So uh, <laughs> so all interviews, I catch on every single development. I wow. all my sources in my head. I know where to go for the sources in Twitter in. Uh, in websites or this, mm -hmm. I know roughly where to go. Right. Every week, I will spend my, my days on it, even until today. I, I think like you said, uh, Elon's darkest hour, his darkest hour like 2018, 2019, yeah. was probably his worst time ever because his $420 tweet, that got him in serious trouble <laughs> with the SEC. That was, okay, <laughs> that one was a big strike for me also. That was a dumbass move. Yeah. Uh, then there was the move where he actually uh, <clears throat> kind of like insulted the analyst during a conference call. Right. So that was one move also. But he did apologize to the next conference call for that. And as his behavior got better, because he got hit by so much, he tends to filter himself to the public and he became a better CEO. But obviously mm. his fans were still his fans, but he learned to kind of like manage, uh, yeah, manage his, his emotion. Uh, also like the Thai cave, you know, that thing. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, back in the head, right? So 
all this adding the fact that I knew one thing for sure is that because I used to be an entrepreneur and uh, entrepreneur in doing businesses all this. So the thing is, I understand that companies, uh, they, they will eventually be replaced if they are not innovative or disruptive. Yes. It's not a matter of time or if they will, you know, it's when they will be replaced. But I knew that Tesla is a very, very disruptive company, innovative, and they have proven time to time mm-hmm. uh, over and over again disrupting companies. As of now, talking at this podcast, you know all the many car manufacturers now are switched over to EVs, either do or die. And the biggest <laughs> problem with all these car manufacturers out there is that they need to pay dividend. All of them, you know, because yes. they are like 50, 60 year old companies. All of them need to pay dividend. Their debt is highest. General Motors have a $100 billion debt. Yeah. Uh, Ford has like $80 billion debt. Tesla has like a $10 billion just for the sake of it. Um, and their cash on hand now is about $80 million. $80 billion. Mm. So they can easily ride through this whole crisis for the next, if they have enough cash. Yeah. Even for the company shuts down for six months, they are the only one that's going to survive this entire crisis. Yeah. And sorry, I yeah. some more. Go, go uh, the last part, I mean, the last, after you question me. Yeah. So, Tesla is one of the most disruptive companies I've seen in my lifetime. Mm. Uh, Apple was disruptive. This is way more disruptive. They're changing the way we can take transport. And, uh, and trust me on this, when I say that they are disrupting the energy market, the mm-hmm. car markets, robo-taxis, like they go disrupt Uber, they, and whatever they're doing now is just the beginning. Yeah, it is really just the surface of everything. They just emerge from that whole, whole world plunging down on Elon Musk and you will see the rise of Tesla. Right. So, uh, why, when you say that uh, Tesla is going to be disruptive, uh, maybe can you explain more like, to the listeners who don't know about Tesla or don't know what they're doing? Oh, okay. Or who can't understand like, oh, what's so special about a car that just does electric cars? Yeah. Okay. Uh, are most of your listeners Singaporeans? Um, we have people from overseas as well. Okay, okay. So maybe first I want to talk about the way Singapore have electric cars. You are right. quite pathetic. We put blue SG here. <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that is crap. So um, so when you are looking, why is Tesla disruptive? Firstly, you got to understand from a cost basis because when we spend money, uh, people generally over the years get smarter spending. That yes. one, that one is a fact that happens. <clears throat> so if you have a car that doesn't need servicing. So the only thing you need to service in a Tesla car is your wipers, you need to change your wipers, your tires, and your brake pad will last, probably last you for six years because of regenerative braking. Yes. The engine itself, no, what? what, what? <laughs> it's, it's, it's an electric engine, so yeah. it's uh, valid for, I mean, it's, it, it's uh, rated for one million miles, so probably you never need to service. Mm. If you have a car like this, you think about the cost basis. So a traditional ICE car, called ICE is uh, internal combustion engine cars. You know the amount of times you need to go servicing. Yes. Each time you bring in a thousand dollars, thousand dollars every ten thousand. There's nothing for Tesla. And the traditional ICE manufacturer's model are to earn money from the servicing. And it's not from the car itself. It's from the servicing. Right. Because it's so competitive that they try to earn from aftermarket parts. Mm. Here so here comes Tesla, comes in and tell you, hey look, <laughs> No more servicing. Oh, don't wow. come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, in terms of cost basis, electricity is much cheaper than fuel. Yes. Mm. So yeah. if you're looking at a long-term point of view where one thing makes the electric car the most expensive is the batteries. So when they bring the cost down of batteries, that's it. Uh, Tesla will cost cheaper than a Toyota. Currently, a, a Tesla is cheaper to run over five years. 
Mm-hmm. That means, let's say you drive normally. If you if you are a taxi driver, you drive every day, massive wear. Your break even is two years, right? Yeah. Right. So, you think of it. If Tesla managed to bring down the cost of the car from a price of a BMW three series to the cost of a Toyota, mm-hmm. you think about savings people, and it becomes a no brainer. If you don't drive a electric car or a specifically Tesla, mm-hmm. uh, you know. You are doing a big disservice, man. Some <laughs> people will think like, "What the shit?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think like um, when I went to the US, I it was then that I understood why Tesla is so appealing because I think in Singapore, I mean, our island is only like forty km, probably max, like around the entire yeah, uh, yeah. circumference. Is it forty km? Forty circumference? Forty by thirty. Or forty by thirty, right? So the max is like forty km uh, yeah. journey. So when you went to the US, when you had to travel from one point to the other and, it, and it's like a five, six hour drive. Hmm. You wish that you were in a Tesla because they had the auto drive ah, and, autopilot, yeah. and Tesla cars are safer in a sense that if someone came nearer to me, I will get alerted by the uh, safety feature. So hmm. in a sense that I know that I'll be safe in Tesla because if I, if I, were, if I just had this like moment of blurness, I know that Tesla will kind of like a beep and you know, I will just, uh, I can yes. react in time. And also like they kind of give you like a 3D uh, spatial awareness, like when you want to filter, right? Uh, on the screen, it will show you that. Oh, is there anyone like right yeah. beside you, right? But for the normal traditional cars, they, they don't do that. They don't. Yeah. And when we were using like the Tesla cars, there was this guy who just jammed in front of us, and the Tesla just broke by itself, and we avoided an accident. Hmm. Yeah. So we actually got um, into like uh, almost. I think Teslas have been uh, known that they are safer than. Um, the conventional cars and when I went there as like a I mean I watched all YouTube videos it's a bit hard to appreciate it but when you are there you know you you feel that fatigue behind the driver's wheel you just kind of appreciate like all this like tech that Tesla has and I feel that you know wow the traditional ICE cars have a ton of I mean not just on the pollution um, perspective but rather the safety features of the car in terms of the AI and technology I think they have a lot like a century of <laughs> yeah of tech. I mean, they really have to catch up, you know, because exactly. otherwise, I think they would just lose out to uh, Tesla. Do you know the stats on you know currently the Tesla the Tesla cars are the safest car in the world? It, it, yes. It, the thing you think about a safety car is a Volvo, but Tesla is way. It's not like one x, two x, three x. It's like six x. So there is a stat. So in the US, because they keep track of accidents and here and there. Yes. So like for every one accident. Not Tesla, not Tesla. Uh, you drive a car, a normal patrol car. You drive around, and every four hundred thousand miles, there'll be one accident. Right, four hundred thousand miles. So uh, one one fatal or one. I can't exactly remember the term for it, but there'll be one accident. Yeah. If you drive a Tesla, it's three million miles per accident. And, wow. And this is just beginning. So by stats wise, you are six times safer in a Tesla. And on top of that, in terms of the structure wise, because you don't have engine in front, and the whole structure of how the car is designed, Tesla, the car is so safe that it actually broke the test rig. <laughs> yeah. So, and they didn't like design it. Most people know how these test rigs are built. So, traditional car manufacturers, they actually design their car around the test to pass the test. Yes. Tesla doesn't do that. And that's how strong the, the, the car is. So, on top of driving a car that can cost you cheaper if you drive a lot. Yeah. So you, I mean, but over five years, you'll still be cheaper. Like if you drive a lot, two years break, uh, a cheaper car, 
then uh, you have a safest car in the world. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you don't need a lot of brain capacity to drive because sometimes you drive, it can be really tiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the autopilot does most of the work. Exactly. And I think most people in Singapore, they don't realize that uh, in certain parts of the world, the highway is not exactly as littered as like yeah. the highway in yeah, our yeah. area. So, you know, there was this, uh, I think this uh, part of the trip where I was driving through snow. Mm -hmm. I was like, I couldn't even see what's in front. I was like so fearful of my life. <laughs> and yeah. there was like one shadow that came out and I thought it was like uh, something. And I, you know, I, I almost freaked out. I almost wanted to jam brake. So, okay. um, I, I, but I know that if I had a Tesla, I'll feel so much safer because if there was like something in front, the Tesla would probably help me to avoid it. Or, because there's a radar yeah, in front. Yeah, exactly. At the, at the lower bumper lip, there's a radar that goes out. So radar, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, cameras and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I think product-wise, you know, I think almost everyone who you know try to test out for, they all, I don't, I don't think anyone will not be convinced. I mean, if they're not convinced, then I think um, you need to go and sit into one. Yeah, they have just just, just go and rent one Tesla. You go on Turo. I think US is Turo. T U R O. It's like Airbnb oh, yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you go and rent a Tesla there, sixty dollars, seventy dollars a day. And probably you come back, I, I guess you'll buy a Tesla stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. I think from the product side, I think uh, that's kind of like, you know, uh, I think statistically we can say that, you know, this uh, product is definitely better than the competitors. Mm -hmm. um, but what about, you know, that period where um, Tesla had a lot of uh, production issues? Um, I mean, with hindsight, obviously, mm. you know, we see that uh, they have actually put through all the production issues. Mm. Uh, but back then when you were an investor, like, how, how did you, uh, you know, come to terms with uh, this kind of issues? And uh, especially when um, the cash flows were still negative and they had to raise another round of uh, uh, funding, like, how did you uh, feel safe about that? You're talking about which part, the ramping up of Model 3 or in May 2019 where the stock price went down because so-called demand issues, uh, inverted commas. So which one are you talking about? The one on Model 3, like the earlier... Or the Model 3 ramp up? Uh. Yes, correct. Oh, uh, at that point of time, I was... You, you see, uh, I was a bit like questioning myself also. When, right. But the thing is, when Model 3 was ramping up, the stock price was going up. So that really didn't <laughs> affect me much, you know. Okay. It was the... Uh, at the point of time, okay, it was hovering around 300 plus, 300, 300, 300 it just keep having there. So it really doesn't matter at that point of time. Right. The, so ramping up that time, I didn't really focus too much on it. Mm -hmm. all, I, all I thought in my head is that, hey, this guy freaking land rockets. You know, <laughs> what, what is this, man? Yeah. You know, this car is like, it's puny shit. But, but actually, when I started to watch his interviews, he said building a rocket company uh, is actually 10 times easier than running Tesla. Mm. Yeah, then I'm like, oh, okay, that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so then, okay, if I knew that back then, I'll be like, okay, I'll be questioning my investment decision, but uh, that, that's all hindsight. Yeah, but the, the biggest question mark of most investors was when 360 dropped to 770, the media was coming out, no Tesla sales, no this, no this. Yes. I mean, yeah, the whole place was blasting on him, the lawsuit. The 420, everything was coming in at once. Yes. It was a very bad time for Elon. Right. But how yeah. was it for you like, and uh, how was it like for you for, for an investor? Like, um, so how did you uh, type through that period? Actually, I was perfectly fine. I was like, okay, I'm going to add more here and there. The one that got me the most during that time, the one that hit me the most was, uh, because a lot of people know about where I invest. Mm -hmm. So they, the biggest thing is students keep asking me, hey, how, 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 how. So eventually you were in my community too. So I, I, I just sent one message out. Look, I said, 
I apologize if my sometimes my timing is not really right and here and there. Right. But I, I think no, I no about, one can perfect timing. Yeah. Right. So I tell you about my conviction. My conviction level is two hundred percent. Nothing has changed. I'm adding more. So uh, I I told them about being a successful investor and a lousy a lousy investor is that the level of conviction. And we will speak a lot about this during this whole podcast. Yes. Where you need to really understand the companies. Yes. And to me. Hey, look, it's going for less than $200. Hello, it's a no-brainer. And whereas the whole, everybody was panicking. Maybe some people used leverage. Some people didn't use leverage. I don't know what was it. But uh, that was the hardest where I see people around me getting hit. Mm-hmm. And that was the point of time I decided, ah, I don't know where I know sometimes if I share something, it's a good thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, it's not my first time getting that, that thing. But anyway, the, I mean, that was all hindsight. And yeah. those who stuck to it, stuck their guns. Are happy yeah so what's your advice right for someone who maybe um is new mm. gets uh, panicky very easily like how, what was your advice to this uh, maybe this newbie who wants to uh, try to think independently try to have their own uh, mental model like what's your uh, advice for these people who, are, who just started and you know how do you think they can practically uh, think independently like how should they start because think- they know they have so many blind spots the, the biggest thing behind an investor, and I think you understand this, is that they got to get the experience, the, the, the use, they must be used to move money moving up and down. Yes. It's like when they buy a house, you know the value goes up and down every day, but they don't see it, so it doesn't affect them, man. Yeah. But the stock market, you see it, so it affects them. <laughs> yeah. So you got to get used to the, you got to get used to that numb feeling of the thing moving up and down, but you must know over the next five, 10 years, if the company you invest in is a good company, it will go up. Right, that one is a no-brainer. Every mm-hmm. it will go up, but uh, you just got to get used to the. So, how do you get used to the up and down without losing all your money? I teach my students diversify, now buy to an index, and just see your money move up and now get feeling a little numb. Now feeling, then probably you are ready for the next stage. Yeah, right. Um, so I think the key here is always about uh, independent thinking. Cause like, for example, uh, let's say if someone tells you like, oh Tesla. Uh, cars caught fire. I mean, you probably can come up with like a um, a, a counter argument saying that, hey, you know, let's let's take a look at the facts. You know, yeah. is it really true that the electric cars are uh, have a higher chance of getting fire versus like you know your ice yeah. your ice cars? Yes. So, um, I think this is what a lot of people are lacking, right? Like they want to make the money, but they are not willing to put in the hard work to form a thesis of their own and to really believe in that. TCs that you know this is what I really researched on and these are the facts mm. and these are the facts that's been presented to us and mm. I'll just make a, a, a calculated decision based on the facts and I think a lot of people are not doing that and they're just I mean blindly following people uh, let's say uh, Molly Fu says oh this company is good and even though that Molly Fu can write a very comprehensive article but if you yourself don't look at the numbers for yourself don't uh, fill up the Excel sheets yourself mm. you won't ever feel uh, comfortable because you haven't really done yes, the work yourself. Yes, you couldn't say it better. Yeah, you, you really need to go in the work. You, no matter what, you can learn from some guru, but you still need to put in the work yourself. If you don't do it, when things hit the fence, then you see you. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, actually, this, this whole COVID-19 thing is a perfect example. Yeah. Singapore, okay, I know there's a lot of things about the, this, this government. Sometimes people say that they like, don't like. I feel that we have our good and bad. Fundamentally, we cannot deny we are strong. And this kind of foundation is built over time, you know. You see all the cracks when, when things hit the fence. Uh, you see all the weakness in the economy. Right? Yes. And you can see how strong we are the way 
like it or not, they did a good job. I must really applaud them. No matter how much I hate them, you they did a good job. Yes. Uh, I don't say I hate them. I like them for a lot of things that they do. They may be lacking in some places, but you must understand foundationally strong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for people who are well traveled, um, mm. they will have almost feel blessed that exactly. They are Singaporean. Yeah. I would yeah, think yes. Yeah. 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 So, so I was like, you know, when I came back. Uh, because I went to the stage right to uh-huh. meet uh, my management. So when I came back, I saw people complaining. Uh, you know, why did the government give only four months to each family? What the heck, right? And yeah. I mean, dude. If I mean, if you go to look, if you go to the US, the government doesn't even give a crap, crap about yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like, if I was even more shocked when I heard that our our government will pay for your treatment, even if you go to ICU, everything will be paid for for you yeah, by the yeah, government. Yeah, yeah. If you get the COVID, uh. and in the US. <laughs> That would never happen. Do, right? you, do you read about the case? This, this China man went to the US and he wanted to test himself for COVID because that was the earlier day. So he didn't want to be socially responsible. So the testing cost him 3,000 US dollars. Oh dear. What? What? Yeah? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think 40%, there's this statistic I say that 40% of the US people, they are living paycheck by paycheck. Yeah. And if you wanted to squeeze an extra $500, it will cost them their lives. Exactly. They will not have food for the next month. You got this fact for Andrew Yang? I think so. Yes. <laughs> I watched Andrew Yang too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when you really put things in perspective, you compare uh, Apple with Apple, right? Yes. I think you can't help but feel like gratitude. And, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you have people in the US right now, uh, people who are in college, they are parting, because right now it's going to be summer, right? They are parting in the beaches when the government says no. Yeah. Right. But in Singapore, if you do that, you get arrested. And I mean, it's the first time that I feel that I feel happy giving up some of my civil liberties. <laughs> yeah, to... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always got to be some balance, you know, between like freedom yes. and all. Yeah. Okay, but I think we, yeah, we okay, kind of digress. Topic, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, but okay. So let me ask you this, right? Other than Tesla, right? Could you share with us other than Tesla, what is another disruptive company that you're looking at recently? Um, okay, I'm looking at this company called Illumina. Right. Uh, it's a DNA sequencing company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, this I have. This company takes a very big portfolio. So Tesla has a big portfolio. This car, I only have three companies. Mm-hmm. Right? So Illumina is one of them. The other one is Square. But I think we'll Square is not something I'll talk about today. Okay. Uh, I Illumina is a company where I've been doing my. I think I mean my hours of research. My right. I watch all the CEO interviews. I I've been through all of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is it is that that deep. I. Right. I took the time, okay, what's the, okay, let me put it in perspective. I want to really understand the why behind Illumina first and after that you will have your own investment thesis behind it. Mm-hmm. Okay, you must understand that uh, the way we have uh, medi- medication now, how we cure diseases, I mean, how we treat diseases, it's going to fundamentally change in our, in our, in our lifetime. Yes. Okay, I'm 40, so yeah, in my lifetime, probably the next 10 years, 20 years, the way we treat diseases is going to change. Currently, what we do is we give medication, so we treat the disease. Yeah. So what if you have this thing, we cure it, and yeah. it's permanently gone. So we can actually kind of, so it's like, it's going to be like the next biggest thing in this world. Like a baby is born with like, a, they call it uh, blindness. Mm-hmm. You know that you can just, it's been humanly trapped before. They, they injected, the, they, they changed the DNA of the, the, person, the genetic of the structure. Blindness went away, you can see perfect. So right. there might not be any blindness in the future, really. Right. Uh, imagine DNA sequencing in this whole. If you can, how do I, how many, 
how do I explain it? Maybe I'll give you a few cases. Yeah. Okay, a, a few like cases to understand how powerful this is. Mm. For example, a lot of uh, mothers will understand this, a lot of parents will understand this. Last time, if you're if you're pregnant, you need to put you need to test if the baby is a bit crazy or not, it will come out crazy. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so the, the, <laughs> I don't know how I am not a medical. Uh, Down syndrome, Down syndrome. Uh, Down syndrome yeah. or yeah. yeah. So they will actually put a needle inside the stomach yes. and that actually is quite dangerous. There's yes. a 5% death rate or something like that. Yeah. So they moved away from that to another kind of testing. So now the latest testing is actually by DNA sequencing. So they just need to take a few drops of blood mm-hmm. and they test. Okay. Uh, what's amazing behind it is that, uh, first this company is keeping track. This company makes the machines to test uh, with a 90% more test safers. Uh, so what happens is they tested like out of a uh, five. I, I can't give you an exact number, mm-hmm. but uh, of course I have so much mem- so much interviews Data in my head. head yeah. In my head, so, okay, I put about 500, 500 patients. Ten of them, they actually said that hey, the baby is nothing wrong, mm. but I think the mother has cancer. Oh dear. Yeah. So so after that they send back. So because if they detect they got cancer, yeah. they got send the mother through oncology department to do the testing. Yeah. And actually ten of them came back with no cancer. You know. Wow, no cancer. Okay. So, but they continue monitoring. Yeah. Guess what happened? Cancer came. That all ten, all ten of them, cancer came after after a while. Ooh, right. Yeah. So it's more of like um, even though the symptoms don't show, right? Mm-hmm. But they could detect that uh, potentially this this yes. person because he has these certain genes, they have a higher chance of or higher risk of getting cancer. It's a, it's a hundred percent. Okay, ninety nine point. There's never such a hundred, but ninety nine point nine nine percent that you are going to get cancer. Right. So. Once you have that thought in mind, mm-hmm. imagine people now that detect stage three, your survival rate is a lot different from detecting at stage one. Yeah, for sure. So you, you, you think about that, uh, that will basically change mankind. <laughs> I mean, you see, you just need to sequence. And the thing is with DNA sequencing back in 2002, to sequence a human genome cost $3 billion. And I'm not even like, like, two, like even discounting $3 billion. In 2014, uh, Steve Jobs paid about $150 billion to sequence himself. But th- he was a different story because he didn't want to go through chemo that's so why he died early. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but he sequenced himself for $150,000. Okay. $150,000. Okay. Two years ago or one year ago is $1,000. Yeah. Can you see the, 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 the curve coming down? As of now, doing this video is $600 per person. Wow. Can you think about it when one day and it will hit there. Because Illumina's goal is to one day sequence genome at $100. Yes. Governments will make it compulsory. I feel that governments will make it compulsory to sequence everybody out there. Because yeah. everybody like you and me, everybody can be useless bugger, but he creates economic value. There's some <laughs> kind of economic value with this person. Yes. Carrying some kind of money, you know, cash flow, everything. So it's in the government's interest to sequence everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just, okay, maybe I add one more story to it. There are parents and you know people that they have some kind of allergy mm. uh, when baby. So uh, let's say the baby has a certain allergy and they cannot even detect hey, why this baby like that. They go through tests and tests and tests and tests. Each test will cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. You just go through the whole sequence and then they cannot find what's the problem with yes. the baby. Yes. So with this technology came out, this, uh, these mothers came out and they actually did the sequencing and they realized one, it's just one example. Okay? So, oh, this baby lacked vitamin B chill. <laughs> so they took really everything is fine yeah. back to normal it's like it, it's madness you know so uh, DNA sequencing is a game changer yeah. and because of I call 
like a bit, I think it's Wright's law. Wright's law is like every uh, double doubling, you will double price drop. I mean, okay, I don't explain, you can Google Wright's law. Yes. So basically, uh, when DNA sequencing hits $100, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's a game changer for everything that we will do. So how, how what's like the kind of growth rates uh, you think this company can achieve maybe in the next uh, maybe five or 10 years? When mass adoption comes in, uh, I'm not looking at even 10x, you know, that is too little. Now, currently, DNA sequencing is like a $200 billion. The, the DNA sequencing using CRISPR-Cas9 to, to do a lot of things. This, this whole industry is worth about $200 billion. Yeah. All these companies. To me, when the first jump is, will be $2 trillion, mm-hmm. the first jump. Mm-hmm. So it's 10x. But you are, you are looking at things moving forward. It's going to be like $20, $30 trillion industry. It, it's madness. It's going to, you think, you know how far I think Tesla will be? This, my God. <laughs> yeah. But I do not, well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lab person. I'm not a research person. But all I can do best is try to make sense of all the information. I read medical reports. Mm-hmm. I read human trials. I read what is actually happened. Uh, when does FDA give the first approval for the medication which they have just given yeah. for certain uh, drug, for certain treatment? FDA has given the goal. Last time we were talking about stem cells, but nobody likes to talk about stem cells because it's not valid. It's not. Yeah. But this works. It works. And, and what I just told you is just maybe I, if I can give a number, 3% of what I've learned. There is so much more to it, man. Yeah. I mean, just, just by you saying like $3 trillion uh, market. So if you do work the numbers back, right? 100 bucks per test kit. So that would be 30 billion uh, test kits. And I think that's quite reasonable, right? I mean, given like MS adoption, 30 billion of yeah. the entire world's population. Yeah. I mean, China itself already have like so, so many people. Right? Yeah. yeah. China is working on this technology too. They're trying to copy. In fact, they just try to copy and they got sued by Indomina. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's quite, okay. Now you okay, now you talk maybe a bit about fundamental of the company. Uh, this company is protected by patents. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, patents usually last 20 years or something like that, 20, 30 years. I can't remember the exact numbers, but for me, next 10 years is a mass adoption. It's to win the next 10 years where the big growth is. And after it becomes a bit like Google, like, okay, the stock is there already. Okay, it's there. Amazon is there already. So you need to ride that wave upwards. So this is where I think Illumina is. Uh, yeah, and they earn a lot of money from selling machines, but 60, about two thirds of their actual revenue is consumables. Right, the test basically, yeah, the, the test, test kits, yeah, the test kits, the consumers that they sell. So that generates the most of their profit. Think of it like a printer company. People yeah. sell you a printer, Canon or Fuji sell a printer, but they earn money through the. Yeah. Through it's like the shaver and blade model as well. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. They earn money from a blade, not like the shaver. Yes, itself. yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah, very yeah. smart. Um, so, if I mean looking back, looking back with hindsight, I mean we are, we have talked about uh, Tesla, we talk about Illumina. Uh, by the way, do you own uh, any companies, uh, any stocks of Illumina? Just, uh, just I mean, uh, yes, I self, self-disclosure, okay. I, I own stocks of Illumina. <laughs> okay. Do not buy the stock until you have that kind of level of conviction. I do and you spend hours, hours watching interviews and reading medical reports. Else, good luck to you. Yeah. And all the transcripts that ever existed since the company started. Oh, I'm not there yet. I am sorry. <laughs> but uh, just, just give us a, a, a scale of roughly how much time I spend a week. I could, it's a good gauge that minimally five hours on DNA sequencing a week. Mm-hmm. I follow people, doctors on my Twitter account, all this. So I follow doctors, all this that does the, the DNA sequencing. All this. I follow analysts that follow this whole industry. I spend 
minimum five hours, maximum about 15 hours a week. Right. So you calculate the amount of time I spend in this is a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at these two uh, companies, right? Mm. I mean, now that, you know, you're really into like disruptive uh, companies and all. Um, so, with hindsight, like what was your worst or I mean, best, best mistake that you ever made in your investing journey? And I mean, I'm always a believer that it's your mistakes in the past that make you uh, who you are, right? And uh, make you how, how great you are today. So, maybe you could name like one of your, I wouldn't say most favorite mistake, but what's the best mistake that ever happened to you that helped you? You were around when I made the best mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, are you comfortable with saying it or? Maybe I'll just, i, I just say that. Anyway, I will quit the financial teaching industry really, so right. I can say what I want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you were around when, you know, was, I, I made a lot of money during the days where Apple and Facebook went up. Yes. Days. And when I really do my study, I'm really quite into what I do. I, I go, it becomes an obsession to me actually. So doing that big mistake was, I think two, three years ago, you should know about what I did about long-term bonds. Yeah. I was telling the world, I was telling all my friends, hey look, let's whack long-term bonds now and we are going to freaking make hell a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, when long, again, as usual, my timing kind of sucked. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, my, my words on the ah, podcast. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, I think you can beat that out. Okay. So, my timing kind of like screwed sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, when we went to it, the long term bonds dropped. Yeah. Uh, and that's the point of time where it was my best mistake learned because everybody came at me. They asked me, hey, how, why, uh, this and that. And I was like, because everybody came at me, and the thing I wasn't worried about, because everybody talked to me, and I was like a bit worried really because I. I see other people's portfolio, I see it here and there. Somehow I was the one that recommended it. I broke. So I say that uh, I think it's time to cut loss. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't believe in my investment thesis. And guess what happened? One year later, bam, the thing shot up. One year or one and a half years later, the thing shot up. Yeah. Like, man, if, if I have full on to my investment thesis, we are 3x our money. In. And this is just the beginning. Eh? Yeah. If you have full until today, this crisis, you know how far long term bonds are up now, man. Let's you take a look. <laughs> oh shit uh, you see how I show cute blood uh. okay so it's just like impromptu kind of thing yeah let's take a so look so back then when oh wow, shit la. <laughs> back then uh, back then how much how much did it fall it fall it was around here right about, we went in at 120 yeah, it dropped to about 110 100 dollars I remember you went to 100 dollars that's where everyone started becoming crazy uh, yeah crazy yes so it went down to I think Google on Google charts you can't see because it's kind of like an intraday yeah. kind of thing so it dropped to dollars and today is about 160 yeah and, and those days are uh, we were leveraged options on this huh yeah so <laughs> imagine the kind of money you have earned by now it is easily like so I, 60 dollars will be six thousand dollars a contract yeah 60 yeah. multiplied by 100 shares yeah so yeah imagine everybody i feel very 50 percent 60 percent on this we right. our, our portfolio have easily double triple easily so, so one contract cost about thousand over thousand thousand dollars so Per contract you have made six thousand dollars so that's five x five x yeah five x yeah but five x yeah some more is fifty percent of your portfolio fifty sixty percent you know how much money you have made you can't freaking rich okay yeah. you'll be rich by now but that, that mistake actually was the best investment mistake i ever made because right. i i without for that uh, <clears throat> i will not be as stable as i am doing tesla days at may okay 170 i will not be as stable as i now Right. I'm freaking stable and the whole is freaking out. I'm like smiling like mad, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yes, 
finally in my lifetime, oh wow, it's actually here, wow, I'm like adding, adding, adding. So that was the best mistake I ever made by understanding that, you know, I'm, I did a lot of research. And you, if you look back at all my recommendations, I'm 90 plus percent right. Yeah. The thing is, and I'm right, one or two percent is thankful. When, and I'm wrong, 50% are like, like <laughs> coming at me. So I'm like, ah, oh, I, nah, this, this, maybe that's why I now prefer to do things I, my way. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I lock away all the noise and that was really the best mistake I made in my life. So, which is to um, not cave in. I mean, which was, you caved in into all the noises and everything. Yeah, yeah. So that was like the best mistake that you made. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, like, I just, I feel that I put in the work to it. I really put a lot of work into it. I should believe what I've done. Mm-hmm. And not cave in to other people who, who just didn't look your way and just a lot of noise coming at you. Right. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, it's not to say that, you know, we're arrogant and let's say someone uh, does put up a very logical uh, argument that makes you think, makes you, uh, gives you a reasonable uh, belief that you might be wrong. You know, yes. you, you don't uh, block out these people who can prove that you're wrong. Yes. In fact, we love to have people to prove us wrong so that we can save our money. Exactly. <laughs> we need people to be the devil's advocate, but do it in a way that is objective. Yes. Don't say that, hey, my stock price is coming down. There is no correlation to stock price to what's actually happening in the company itself. So, I mean, 99% no, no, no correlation. So, we must be very objective. Like, if I was talking about Tesla, you can come to me and, hey, the battery caught fire, uh, that kind of thing. Then I will have my thought process behind it. Yes. Uh, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, if you had a time machine and you could advise your 18 years old self, like what would, what would you say to yourself? Love my family more. <laughs> Nothing to do with money, just love my family more. Okay, that's a really good one. Um, so, I mean, Ken, you're a really big advocate of like buying long-term. Um, what do you have to say to people who, who, who's afraid that, you know, let's say if I buy now, then a uh, recession comes, you know, can I tie the market? Can I wait for a recession to come then I buy? Like, you know, what do you have to say to them? Firstly, I would say on this podcast, this is the recession. Uh, <laughs> not as not financial advice, but freaking buy now. Hello. Uh, seriously, <laughs> buy now. Okay. But other than that, those beyond the time. My 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 best advice, I can actually put it out, is uh you need to experience this short-term, long-term thing. So go ahead and take up a day trading class, go and day trade. Put in like three thousand money you can lose, so like you don't feel much pain. Put the right. real money in, go and day trade. And if you are able to earn money, you're, you, can, you can day trade and earn your money way out of it. Okay, go ahead, continue on. But I can tell you, one out of thousand people can do it. Not a lot of people can do it. So yeah. if you cannot day trade, stick to us, long-term investment. Yeah, uh, right. pretty not much no-brainer. Uh, not a very smart person like me can do it. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you can do it. Yeah. So Ken, just like you're saying that you know, it's recession time now. And um, what if, okay, so if someone buys into it and the recession comes, I mean, drags out even further and you know, stock prices go, uh, go down even more. So, I mean, there, there's always a group of people who, you know, who say that, you know, don't catch a falling knife, mm. right? And they want to wait out and wait out and wait out. Like, mm. do you think that's ever possible that they can catch a bottom? I just did a YouTube video on this. So, these people are short-term smart, long-term foolish. That's <laughs> all I can say. I think I've been saying this to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are overrating... Um, the, the recession, right? How much money can lose in recession, but they're underrating how much they can make, let's say, if they were to look at things in the long-term perspective. Basically, the market, the Mr. Market is crazy. One day, you'll show you one price, show you another price. Yes. 
So you now it's showing you a cheap price, go and buy lah. I mean a bit wow, no brainer you know. It's seriously no brainer for me right now, man. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that uh you know they can always uh, wait for a lower price, but the thing is I feel I mean that's just my opinion. I don't know about yours, but I feel that if I'm able to, if I'm able to catch the bottom of the market, I think it's just pure luck. Mm. You know, I, actually, yeah. I I'm just afraid right now when the opportunities are there, mm. if let's say the market decides to become optimistic again mm. and if I have to wait and wait and wait for like the real bottom by the time the market is pos- uh, optimistic again then I'll be fighting with this search of positive investors who is trying to buy stocks and I'll be fighting with people and also when this happens how fast the stock market came down in the past few weeks mm. will be how fast it will go up and yes. I probably cannot get my companies at a really good and cheap price correct anymore. Uh, maybe I share my plan a little bit I know this is going to go on a little bit more. So yeah. what I'm going to do is whatever money I have, I, I already share already. I, maybe I, I share with the audience here. Yeah. I say on my YouTube channel is that I, I'm going to like the next one month, yeah. I'm going to have all my, I will split my, my, my remaining money in three parts. Right. Every week enter one time or every two weeks enter once. Yeah. That's it. Throw all in. Yeah, right. I don't have timing anymore. So I just one week enter one, one week enter one, and that's done. Yeah. So I mean, I was just uh, sharing with some of my friends, like, mm. you know, I mean, if back then in uh, 2008, 2009, when Amazon was like, it, it went from like $100 to $50, you know, does it matter if you bought Amazon back then at $100 or $50? Yeah. I mean, if you look, if you see today, like, you've yeah. been laughing your way to the bank, even with this uh, crisis, because you're a long term holder, you're yeah. still making so many folds on your money. Yes. Right. Amazon is a disruptive company, just to let you know, during those yes. 2009. <laughs> and during their worst quarter, during the worst recession at the part, they had a 14% growth, Amazon. Yeah, so... During the worst quarter, 14% <laughs> growth, you know. Is, I mean, like, hello. Yeah, it's crazy. Un- just unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, Ken, if a listener on this podcast feels inspired to get started after listening, uh, but they don't know where to start, so uh, how, how can one get started on this journey? Like what, what's your best advice or like if someone comes to you, like what would be your best advice for them? No amount of money, no amount of theory, okay, no amount of theory is going to help you. Yeah. I, know, I know people that like to sell the fence, uh, let me study more. Okay. Open an account and start. I don't care what you buy, just go and buy. What I think I said earlier in the podcast is that you, you are, I got to get the feeling of money moving up and down. You cannot come in and immediately I will earn money and I will this, I will that. No, it's yeah. going to happen. No amount of theory is going to help you. It's like you go and learn basic theory, drive a car, but you when you drive, you realize there's a lot of hidden rules around it. Yeah, yeah. So the same thing applies to the stock market. Just go and do it first. Then uh, once you get it, one you're gonna go more advanced. There are places where you can look at uh, where you can further your journey. Yeah, but of course, don't put like hundred thousand dollars. Let's say if you won a lottery or what. Don't oh put, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. put all your money to one. Maybe put like um, just enough to feel to test the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to feel the market, feel the swings on the market. Yes. Yeah. So, can could you suggest a very actionable habit that one can take uh, to get started on investing uh, on the investing journey? I mean, it's very easy to start. It's very easy to uh, you know start a brokerage account. It's very easy to buy my first stock. But then, like you know, a lot of people like what I observe is that you know after they start, they just drift off and forget about investing. So, what's like a habit you think is good for someone to have? Let's say if they are very very serious into wanting to learn investing and to master it. You must learn to love it. Learn to love investment. <laughs> you cannot. Hey, investment, you just don't do anything, you're passive, like, eh, that kind of right. thing. Uh. Yeah. Nah, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. So I think when you say love investment, specifically, you're saying uh, you must love the process of like finding out about companies yeah. and 
it's, liking it's, how business model works and exactly like some people are like they are they are people like to find this uh like become okay let's talk about some people are foodie mm-hmm. people like to eat food they go and find the good food so yeah. it becomes a habit it becomes a love affair yeah investment has to go <laughs> the same way too you, you cannot like uh, i hate it but you do it you know thing. i rather you do other things uh. i mean yeah it's not for you man okay so we're gonna end the podcast really soon right now so can um if someone really likes what you shared right how can you follow you on social media mm, youtube uh you can search for my channel chicken genius yeah so coming to this part i'm just really curious why do you call yourself chicken genius <laughs> mm, okay uh basically i'm more on the chicken because chinese is the horoscope so okay chicken then uh genius is it's just like a smart chicken so i'm i don't want to be too serious about my conversation right neither i want to be too like funny about it mm-hmm. so i have that's a that's a very nice balance anyway it's like you talk about brands it's like you nike doesn't sound like a shoe you know yeah uh, so the so the, the same thing i i didn't want to brand my channel as investment channel i, I mean like uh just chicken genius uh, and, and <laughs> let's see what happens go along yeah. with you know? Okay, so I mean, we have come to the end of this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. Uh, if you're keen in what Ken is doing, follow him on social media. I'll be attaching links in the podcast uh, details below. Uh, if you like this podcast, the, the biggest way you can give back to me is to share this podcast with more people. And I'll be truly grateful to you. So if you want to interact with me, follow me on my Instagram, uh, Jang the Investor. All right, see you in the next episode. See you.